0: Today, we're going to begin a Christmas series, and we're going to start looking uh, today in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. It's on page 855, if you want to turn there on the Pew Bible, on uh, the rack there in front of you. You know, throughout Scripture, God came and spoke to His people in a variety of different time periods. You know, we learn all the way back in uh, the beginning of Genesis. God came and spent a little bit of time every day, it says in there, in the cool of the day. So in the morning time, he would walk through the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and have a conversation with them. And then as time passed, a a chapter or two later, it says that at this time, the people began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to pray in earnest and call on the name of the Lord, and they would hear from God, receive a word from the Lord. Time passed, Abraham came, God came and gave Abraham a word and spoke to Abraham, gave him a word, go to this such and such a place, just start walking and I'll tell you where it is when you get there. God came and spoke to Moses through a burning bush, gave him a word through a burning bush, voice out of the bush. God came and spoke to all the prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, all the Malachi, And it would always says the Lord said, and then it would say what the Lord said. But if you notice, almost every time, with a few exceptions like the burning bush, it never says how the Lord said it. More often than not, we um, we envision all of those people receiving the word of the Lord audibly. They hear God speak audibly in. You know, just out loud, maybe it's like there's an angel there, or or, or the the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, or Jesus, and we, we picture it as though they are visibly speaking it out loud. But it never says, with, again, a few exceptions, like the burning bush, how they receive that word. And so the question we have is, how did they hear the word of God? How did they hear it? How did they receive it? Is it the same way we hear it now? Man, it would be so much easier if God just dropped down and told me specifically, laid it out with bullet points, what I'm supposed to do. But I don't know your experience. Mine is God usually doesn't do that, He will do it in a different fashion than that. Well, in some specific instances that we're going to see today, hearing the word of the Lord is unique. Powerful, life-changing, and somewhat specific, but more often very general in its way. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. Let's begin here, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, What's interesting about this, has, have, have most of you in here heard of the city of Nazareth? I guarantee you, if Nazareth weren't written here, none of you would have heard of it. It was a podunk, tiny town. Everybody at the time thought very little of it. It was a backwoods place. And so there you've got this woman that this angel is sent to. It says the angel Gabriel. Now, Gabriel was a, was a big deal angel. He's in the Old Testament. He's an announcer angel. He would show up and give a word. He shows up to Daniel after Dan, Daniel has fasted for several weeks. He shows up and gives Daniel a word from God. Uh, and so Gabriel shows up, this announcer angel who shows up to prophets, to the city of Nazareth, know-nothing town, sent from God, the throne room. I mean, this is the greatest place that has ever existed, throne room of God. And he comes down to Nazareth which some people of that day might have thought was the armpit of the world. And he shows up there. This is who he goes to, verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, everyone has heard of this, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Even people who don't believe in Jesus have heard about Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But the way Luke describes it here is this is just some guy, and this is just some girl. He describes it as though there's nothing special about him. He describes it as though he, the angel came to this town. Yes, God chose this town, and God chose Mary for the angel to come to. is very specific. But according to the world's standards, there would have been nothing special about them. They would have just been the typical average people at the time. And God sent this angel from his throne room to go to this little tiny nothing town to Mary, who says there is just some girl, just some virgin from this town. She's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And betrothal, we've talked about that in years past. It it was sort of like engagement, but it's really they were promised to be together. They were promised to be together. In years before this, years past, it wasn't even, their opinion wasn't taken into consideration, but once you got to the first century, the parents did take into consideration the opinions of their kids, so when they betrothed the son, their son to another family's daughter, they took their opinions into consideration about whether they wanted in this or not, uh, most of the time. And so Mary and Joseph were betrothed, and so that would be... In our terminology today, they're technically married, even though they don't live together, they don't come together. Most of the time, they don't even see each other for a while. Uh, They're just, she still lives in her parents' house, he still lives in his parents' house. And uh, the way it would work in tradition is he would be uh, uh, working on building them a house or building them a room that was a lot of times attached to his parents' house. And he would just continue to work on that room while they're betrothed until his father said the room was ready. He would never know when the betrothal would end, it would just end whenever his father thought he had done enough work and the room was ready. And so he would just keep working until the room or the house was ready, and then his father would say, it's ready, and then they would gather a procession together, they would march over to the bride's family's house, have a celebration there for a minute, a little ceremony, Uh, they would go up, consummate the marriage, come down, and then have a week-long party, reception, Uh, and, and... that when then they would go and move into the room or the house that he built, um, and so that's what betrothal was. And so, sometime during that betrothal period, when he's he's working on the house or they're working on the room, they're still living in separate places. More often than not, they don't see each other ever. Mary is going about her daily duties, and this angel shows up to her. Verse twenty-eight, and he came to her and said, "Greetings, O favored one." The Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one. Now, I like the way it says it there. You know, it's almost as, it, 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 we read it in scripture, and it's like, oh, the angel just gently shows up, and he says, greetings, O favored one. God loves you, Mary. But if you look in your Bibles, more often, most of the Bible translations will have an exclamation point there, yeah? Look at it. Does your Bible have an exclamation point there? Does an exclamation point generally mean something quietly said in a calm fashion? No, it does not. <laughs> uh, it does not at all. The image is right. The angel was sent from God to Mary. It says he came to her, and he says, Greetings, O oh favored one! Would that freak you out a little bit? Just if anybody did that, jumped around a corner and screamed at you, But here you have an angel who does it. Now, we don't know where Mary is. Maybe she's in her house. Maybe she's in her room. Maybe she's in the living room. Maybe she's out in the field. It doesn't tell us where she is. It just says the angel showed up, and according to this verse, yells at her. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, a lot of things would have been racing through her mind at this moment. A lot of things. Once she gets over the initial shock a lot of things would have been flowing through her mind. An angel shows up to her, just some girl from some town. An angel from the throne room of God. This guy's super important. This guy came to people that she heard about in school, came to Daniel. I mean, this an angel showed up all throughout Old Testament scripture. She would have been taught about all these instances. And now an angel shows up and talks to her. And she's thinking, Why? In addition to that, he says, O favored one, which means you are receiving grace. If she's willing to to, to do what he's about to say, she's going to receive some yet unknown grace. And so the angel shows up and says, greeting, O favored one, one who's going to receive grace, the Lord is with you. And again, that phrase, the Lord is with you, that's something that was throughout the Old Testament as well. That was said frequently, Jared alluded to it last week, the Lord is with you. That's Emmanuel, God is with us. He says, the Lord is, and the Lord is, and the Lord's about to be in an entirely different manner than she anticipates. And so she hears this angel say this, and what is her response, verse 29? She was greatly troubled at this saying. She was incredibly confused to the point of being disturbed or troubled. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So she's trying, to decide, she's trying to figure out what is going on in this moment. And, and she, she can't quite wrap her head around everything she's experiencing. And so she's speechless. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There he says it again. Do not be afraid. You have found favor. God favors you. Then he gives her a little inkling of what's going to happen. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So she hears this from the angel. First off, don't be afraid. you found favor with God. God favors you. God is giving you special grace. You're going to conceive a son. His name's going to be Jesus, and he's the son of God. The son of God that was prophesied, has been prophesied about for thousands of years. He's coming to you, little girl from Nazareth, and you're going to give birth to him and raise him. That's the responsibility now. You're going to raise the son of God. I mean, I try to think back to when I was a teenager, and the amount of responsibility that I had was, you know, don't break your arm when you're, you know, playing hockey in the street. The responsibility given to Mary as a teenager is, you're going to raise the Son of God. Even as an adult, that would be incredibly intimidating. That would be scary beyond measure. What do you, I don't understand, like, what qualifies me to do what you're saying I'm going to do? Why why don't you go to somebody who's got, you know, three dozen kids, like, who's got this down to to a formula, like, they know what they're doing here. Why don't you go to somebody who's very experienced, somebody who's an expert? Why would you come to me to give me the, the biggest responsibility in human history? Which is her question, verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Notice in her question, her question isn't about her own spirituality. I, I'm not spiritual enough. Her question isn't about, okay, well, what are the expectations here? Like, what do I need to be teaching him every day? I mean, he's the son of God. I mean, does he need to be teaching me every day? Uh, like, how does this work? Her question is about, her qualifications is though she, she's saying to the angel, you came to the wrong house. You should have come next door. <laughs> like th- th- They're married already, and they're able to have kids. I am not. You came to, I, I, you came to the wrong house here, angel. This is not the right spot. <laughs> I am unqualified for this. She's not questioning God's ability. She's not questioning that, that, that the angel has been sent by an all-knowing God. She's questioning her ability to be involved. She says, how am I able to do this? And so the angel gives her an answer, but as some of you already know, the angel doesn't give any specifics here. Verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the angel says, this is how it's going to happen. God's going to do it. He doesn't get into the nitty gritty. He doesn't get into how it's going to happen. He doesn't get into a biology lesson. She says, how can this be? He says, don't worry about it. God's going to do it. Don't worry about it. God's going to do it. How often do we want to know the ins and outs of every detail of how God's going to make something happen? We want to know, like, okay, God, you said you're going to take, you said you're going to provide for me. You said you're going to add all these things unto me if I seek first the kingdom of heaven. Okay, but how? Like, give me a rundown on a spreadsheet of the step by step process of how this is going to work because this doesn't make sense to me. God says, you're right. And it doesn't need to. You just need to trust me that I can do it. So Mary says, how can I be involved in this? And the angel says, don't worry about that. If you're willing, God's going to do the whole thing. God's going to do it. Holy Spirit's going to come. Most High's going to come. Child's going to be born. That's all you need to worry about is God's going to do everything, the whole shebang. And just as proof of this, verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Here's the kicker. For nothing will be impossible with God. So to drive the point home, the angel says, you think God can't do this? God made Elizabeth, woman well advanced in her age, that is beyond childbearing years. She's pregnant, and she's six months pregnant. She is about to have a kid, just like all of those women way back in the Old Testament. God's still doing it today. Nothing is impossible with God. So don't question whether or not you're qualified. It doesn't matter if you're qualified. God shows up. That's all the qualification you need. It says, Nothing is impossible with God. So Mary hears this from the angel. The angel doesn't really assure her of her own qualifications. The angel doesn't say doesn't try to encourage her and say, don't worry, Mary. I mean, he already said, you're favored. He already said, God's going to give you grace. He doesn't need to, 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 to butter her up. All he says is, nothing is impossible with God. And what does Mary say? 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. Do you want a part of this, Mary? Mary says, yes angel leaves. He heard what he needed to hear and he was out. He just needed her willingness. And the implication here from the whole conversation, angel says, do you want to be a part of this? God's going to come. He's going to overshadow you. Holy Spirit's going to do the whole process. Do you want it? Is that when she says yes, that's the moment she has Jesus in her. That's the idea. This isn't something that's going to take place later on down the road. The the idea with the whole buildup of the passage is this is going to be an instantaneous thing that once she gives her assent, God does it. All she had to do was say yes. All she had to do was yes. I want to be a part of whatever God's doing. Even though it's crazy, even though it's hard, I know there's far-reaching implications that I don't see yet, that I don't know yet. Yeah, we live in a small town. There's going to be all kinds of talk. But whatever it is, if God's going to do it, I want in. And the angel leaves, and she receives that grace. She receives Jesus within her. But this is just one side of the story. She receives a word from God and says yes. Let's take a look at the flip side. Go over to Matthew chapter one. Back a couple of books. Matthew chapter one. Uh it is on page, if you're using the Bible in the pew rack, we're on page 807. First page of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. See, like I said earlier, Mary and Joseph would not have had much contact, if any at all, during this period. So Mary gets pregnant, then she immediately goes and spends time with her cousin Elizabeth. The idea from, from the way it describes it there in the rest of, uh, of that uh, next section of Luke She goes and is with Elizabeth, possibly until Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist. So she's there for three months. So Mary's gone for three months. She comes back into town, and she's very visibly pregnant at this point. Having now been gone for possibly three months, word gets back to Joseph. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, oh, no, that's, that's the wise man, Back it up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So, she was found to be with child. It was discovered. The idea from that verse is she didn't tell Joseph yet, possibly. She was found to be with child, and word gets back to Joseph Hey, Joseph, you're betrothed, who's been gone for three months? She's pregnant. She's pregnant, man. How would you have reacted in that moment? You're over here building this house, but with your bare hands, day in and day out, your betrothed is gone for three months, comes home, and she's pregnant. If you drop that hammer, tear that thing down, it'd be like, we're done. Like, this is she's pregnant. I banged my hand on that hammer three times, and she's going off doing her thing. Legally, he had every right at that moment, the way their, their law system was set up, to divorce her. Have a big public trial, drag her out, let it be all kinds of shame and embarrassment. Because according to their religious system, if he goes through with the marriage, now having the knowledge that she, in his estimation, committed adultery, going through with the marriage would not only make her unclean, but being married to someone unclean makes him unclean. Meaning, he can't go in the temple and worship God, according to their religious system. And so Joseph has, hear this, hears this of Mary. And the way we see it here, he's heartbroken. Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So again, he could have been, you know, revenge-minded, put on a big public spectacle, which we would all want to say we would have acted like Joseph, but in truth, we would have all probably done the big public spectacle. Like, you did this, well, I'm going to do that to you. Joseph, being a just man, or another way to translate that, is righteous, resolves to do it quietly, which means they would just be before one legal representative and two witnesses to sign the document. So Joseph, Mary, two witnesses, legal rep, five people in the room. No one else would know, just them. And so this is, he's resolved to do this. He's come to the conclusion, this is what he's gonna do. He's heartbroken, he's devastated, thinking about what's he gonna do with all that work he's put in on the house. He's resolved to do this. He's made up his mind. This is what he's gonna do. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, I want to point this out. We're going to get into it in just a sec. The angel came to Mary in front of her, not in a dream, and spoke. Here, we don't get the name of this angel. It doesn't say it's Gabriel. Mary had Gabriel. This isn't named. This is just some angel. Comes to Joseph in a dream in a different fashion than the angel came to Mary. Angel shows up to Joseph. Uh, Verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So an angel comes to Joseph in a dream, gives him a vision, and says, that's God's baby. You're not going to divorce her, Joseph. God's given her a mission. God's given her a job to help to raise this baby. And you've got a job, too. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel came to Joseph in a dream and said, Mary has the Son of God, the Messiah, that has been prophesied about Joseph, you know, the Messiah you heard about in school, the Messiah who's coming, that we're anticipating coming, and he hadn't come yet. He's coming now in this day and time. This is the fullness of time. He's coming now, and he's going to be born to Mary and you, and the two of you are going to raise him. So Joseph receives this word from God, just as Mary received a word from God. And what did Joseph do? Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so again, from that verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took his wife. So the, adai- the idea, again, is he hasn't finished work on the house yet. The idea from that verse is he took Mary as his wife that day. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. He didn't wait around for, to, to, to mull it over and run it through a committee to figure it out. He received a word from God, and he acted. But it would have been a process. He would have to go and tell his father, who under their cultural right had the say over whether or not Joseph was done building to go marry. And Joseph would have had to gone to his father and said, I'm going to marry Mary today. I received the word from God last night and it's happening today. So Joseph's parents had to be on board. And then they would make the march over to Mary's house and tell her parents what's going on. We're doing this today. We're, marrying, we're going to marry Mary today. House isn't done yet. We're going to go. We'll finish it. We'll gather everybody together like, like an, Armish, an, an Amish barn raising, and we'll just get it done. But we're, it's happening now. And they would have done the marriage ceremony. They wouldn't have consummated the marriage yet. It says it there in the next, that last verse. But they would have done the marriage ceremony, had the reception. Now imagine that reception. In a small town with a very visibly pregnant bride. You think in a small town people gossip, talking, murmuring at their reception tables about what's going on up there at the head table, about the decision Joseph's made, about how ridiculous it was trying to say, if you were in that position, you never would have done that. Surely not, right? That doesn't happen in small towns. People gossip. I mean, that's just, that's beneath us. Right? That's just, that's, that's Nazareth. That's not any other small town in the world in modern 21st century Dequeen, Arkansas. It's not that. But Joseph would have done all of that, gone through with the marriage ceremony, not gotten into sleep with his wife, but anticipated this moment of the birth of the child. And then as they're going through their day-to-day, probably Joseph's still working on the room or working on the house, it begins to sink in some of the implications of this. As they're treated a certain way when they go to the market. As they interact with people, as he attempts to go to synagogue and they try to shun him because now they consider him to be unclean even though he's telling them, I'm not unclean, it's God's baby, y'all need to stop. Okay, sure, Joseph. Buying that story, whatever, crazy man. But he continues to go about his day and do his thing and Mary does her thing and they're anticipating this moment when Jesus is going to come into the world but even then, having received this word from God of what they're going to do, God hasn't told them everything. God hasn't told Mary, you're going to suffer as you watch your son stripped, beaten, nailed to a cross, tortured to death. That pain, he didn't tell her she's going to know that. He didn't tell Joseph, Joseph, you're going to raise this child, but you're not going to live to see the fulfillment of him die on the cross and raise from the dead. He didn't tell Joseph that. He didn't tell Joseph, you're going to put in all, like like building the house, you're going to put all this work into it, but you're not going to see the end. Because we know, as Jesus gives the responsibility to the Apostle John to take care of Mary, his mother, once Jesus is gone, that Joseph is dead by that point. So Joseph doesn't see the fulfillment. Joseph helps raise Jesus, and then he dies at some point between Jesus' birth and Jesus' crucifixion. He didn't give them all of this. He just gives them a word. This is what I want you to do. Give birth and raise the child. Take care of him. Raise him. Your creator, raise him. You're going to call him Jesus and raise him. But here's a question that began to just plague my mind when they received this word from God, what if Mary and Joseph had said no? Instead of Mary immediately saying, let it be to me as you have said, instead of Joseph saying, yes, today it's going to happen. Before the sun sets, it will be done. What if they just said, no, no, that, that is too weird. Like, I need to. I need to talk to my rabbi about this one. I need to talk to my parents about this. I need to figure out how this. This. This is. This doesn't. This isn't in the Old Testament. They didn't do this kind of stuff. Uh, virgin giving birth. That didn't happen before. Like, what are you talking about? What if they had said no? Well, we never would have heard of Mary and Joseph. Jesus tells the parable of, of the talents. You know when. The master is leaving and he gives his servants, three servants, three different amounts of money and says, I want you to do some work with this money because I'm coming back and I want to see what you've done with it. One servant was given 10 uh, talents, which is a truckload of money, so equivalent to something like 20,000 days of work or years of work. I mean, it's an innumerable amount of money and he's given this money. And he replicates it, gets ten more. A guy's given five, he does five more. But a guy who's given one just takes it and buries it in the backyard because he believed a lie about his master. And he gave it back having done nothing with it. And the master comes back, takes that, and gives it to somebody else who's going to do something with it. So if Mary and Joseph had said no, they would have gone to somebody else. The angels would have gone to somebody else. Somebody else would have got the blessing. Somebody else would have got the experience. Somebody else who would have said yes would have raised Jesus if Mary and Joseph had said no. But they said yes. Because even though Mary and Joseph from Nazareth, a place nobody would have picked, even though Mary and Joseph had zero qualifications on their resume, besides the fact they were descended from King David, that's the only thing they had, they had no experience raising kids. They had definitely no experience raising the Son of God. They had no qualifications that would have put them in this spot. But they did have one thing. And it's the only thing you need to do something for God. It's the only thing you need. You don't need a seminary education. You don't need years and decades of experience. You don't need any of that stuff. All you need to do something for God when he comes to you is a willingness to do it. He's the one who brings the qualification. Now, in my line of work, there's a lot of preachers out there who, who look down on other preachers who have less qualifications, less education. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Because I just say to him, who was the most influential preacher of the last 100 years? Who preached to the most people and saw the most people saved in the last 100 years? Billy Graham. Did he have a Bible degree? No. Did he have a seminary education? No. He had none of that. He was Daniel, a prisoner of war who changed the world. He was David, a shepherd who felled Goliath, he was a man unqualified by today's standard for the task that God came alongside and did something phenomenal with. Because God doesn't need all that stuff. Can he use it? Yes. Does he need it? No. Who had the qualifications? Paul had the qualifications, but he didn't have the attitude until Jesus changed his mind. All you need is a willingness to follow the Lord. That is it. And God's going to do something with it. God's got, I mean, what's the adage? He, does, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He does. He's all the qualification we need. He shows up to Mary and Joseph when we say, oh, Mary and Joseph, they were so holy and right. No, they were teenagers. How holy and righteous do you think teenagers are? Don't look down the row. I'm just going to ask you, you, adults, how holy and righteous were you when you were a teenager? Don't give me that. Oh, my, I was perfect, and I was—I always wore white, and never got dirty, and I always put my, uh, washed my dishes and put them on the drying mat. I always mowed the yard when my dad said mowed the yard. Didn't complain one time. I took out the trash without having to be asked, and I never fought with my siblings ever. Hmm. Hypocritical liars. God came to Mary and Joseph, teenagers, and gave them this call on their life. Why? Because they had a willingness to follow him. That's all the qualification they needed. And they received this word from God, and everything changed. And you can sit there, and you can say, okay, if I hear a word, for, if an angel shows up in my living room, of course I'm going to follow him. I mean, like, where's my word from the Lord? Like, where's my angel giving me a word that I can go and do, and do all this for God? I want a word from the Lord. Where's my word from the Lord? But as we talked about when I started this message, and we saw with Mary and Joseph, and as C.S. Lewis said, God never does the same thing the same way twice. God, the ultimate innovator, the greatest creator who never repeated himself, the same God who created the hippopotamus, created the giraffe and the mosquito, and the fire ant. You say, what good is a fire ant? Well, I, t- I read an article this week about a woman who jumped out of an airplane, her parachute didn't open, and she fell thousands of feet, landed on a fire ant pile, and survived. Not because of the fire ant pile, but because she was bitten over 200 times, and that kept her heart going. I bet she's thankful for fire ants. You say, I ain't thankful for fire ants. You would if you fell out of an airplane and they kept you alive. God is extremely creative. Why would he speak to you the same way he speaks to somebody else? And if he speaks to you, why would he speak to you the same way? You say, well, I heard God speak when I was listening to this song, and I was in this position on my knees, and I was reading this verse, my Bible was open up to this page, and, and I had this, this, this candle was going, and so I need to repeat every one of those steps so I can hear from God again. No. What we're doing in that moment is we're reducing the word of the Lord to what we did to make him speak. As though our actions can make him speak again. All God needs is a willingness. He doesn't need all the other stuff. He doesn't need all that. We can try to anticipate how God's going to speak. The anticipation can rack our brains and drive us crazy. All we need is a willingness and an attention. Think of Elijah in the cave. He anticipated, he just saw God bring fire down from heaven. He anticipates this great moment of hearing God speak. Fire comes. Whirlwind comes. Earthquake comes. No voice until he's still and quiet, and he hears a whisper out of the silence. God didn't speak that time like he did with the fire from the sky. He spoke different. Elijah had to be willing to hear there in the cave to receive the word from the Lord. You say, man, I'm willing to listen. I, I'm willing to do all this. Okay, well, how much effort do you do we really put into listening to the Lord? Or Jared and I were talking about this morning. Do we sometimes just go through you know, the checkbox of, of getting through our time with the Lord to say we did it, to get on with the other stuff we gotta do for the day? Or do we genuinely just, Listen to him. That's one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines you're going to ever have, is sit still and listen to the Lord. You know, if I were mean, and I'm never mean, just ask my sisters, how long would y'all be willing to sit in silence and wait for God to speak? Some of you are already getting uncomfortable. We can keep going. I got nowhere to be. (laughs) I used to work for a youth minister when I was a high school associate at a church. One of the scariest things to do with youth is to have an open mic share time. But he sure liked to have them. And he liked it because he liked how awkward the moment would get when he would just sit there in silence and wait for something to happen. Because inevitably you're gonna get the one person who can't stand the silence and they're gonna come up and just start talking. Of course that's when things went off the rails. And he would have to snatch the mic because they would say something inappropriate or just talk and say something they shouldn't have said. But sitting in silence is difficult. A few years ago, I taught on this on a Wednesday night, uh, uh, listening to the Lord, and I had someone come to me who had been a Christian uh, for 50, 60 years and said, that is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire Christian life Is try to sit in silence for 30 seconds and listen to what God's gonna say. Because our mind runs in 15 different directions. Not just on our own, because we're energizer batteries and we just never stop, but because the enemy knows what we're trying to do. He'll make the phone buzz. He'll make the lights go out. You've got to fix the lights. He'll make you, you, you hear something going on with the toilet down the hall. You, you, you hear a kid stirring. You, you, you hear something else. The, the dog starts getting sick. Uh, the neighbor's dog starts barking in a rhythm, and you start singing some song in your head, and now you've been 15 minutes singing that song, and you don't know how you got there. But this, all this is going to go on because you're just trying to listen to a word from the God. Where's my word from God? I'm, I want to be willing, but he's not showing up. Well, yeah, he, he shows up all the time. Like Elijah in the cave, if we're giving him attention, if we're, if we're giving him a willing ear, maybe he doesn't show up in the form of an angel right in our room, speaking the words to us. Maybe it's an impression on our heart. Maybe it's through the voice of somebody else. Maybe God has given you a word by what he's already given you. Maybe your word from God is to raise those kids as he wants you to raise them, to be disciples. Not all-star baseball players and all-star basketball players and all-star football players, but disciples. That's a word he's already given some of y'all. Maybe he the word he's given you is to share the gospel with your friends. He already told us that, Matthew 28. Maybe he's already given you the word. But we don't want to listen to it because we want a different word. We want a word from an angel. He said, hey man, I, I gave you a thousand some odd pages of words. <laughs> How about we start there? You're not ready for the angel yet. How about we start here? And we can move on. Where's my word from the Lord? God's given us a word. He's he, he's showing us a way forward if we're willing to listen, if we have ears to hear. And he's going to guide us, and he's going to provide for us when we get there. There's a great quote I heard not too long ago. Uh, You know, there's the old adage where God guides, God provides. But there's the same thing in reverse. Oftentimes, God guides by what he doesn't provide. He's already shown you the way. You say, I want a word from God. And God says, I already gave you one. But you don't want it. Because it's either too hard, you don't think it's fantastic enough. Because you're comparing it on a scale that doesn't need to be used. I'm giving you something to do. I didn't give anybody else to do. God gives us his word to change the world. Mary and Joseph, listen. Mary and Joseph said yes to God. They said yes to God. There's the old hymn. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. Yes. To your will and to your way, I'll say, yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be, yes, Lord, yes. What are you willing to do with the word you have been given from the Lord? some of you today the word is you need to follow me you need to follow me in raising those people in your house to be disciples you need to follow me yourself and make yourself a disciple you need to follow me and share the gospel you need to follow me and make this entire christmas season about me in anticipation of the coming of jesus you need to follow me your answer needs to be yes Without knowing all of the steps, without knowing all of the how this is going to happen, you just need to say yes and trust me that I know what I'm doing as I guide you through it. Maybe your answer needs to be yes, I will listen and I will obey and I will come to believe in Jesus today. Will you believe if you don't yet? Believe that he's the son of God. He died so all of your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Will you believe in him today and come? Come and let us know you made that decision. You know, the Bible ends in the book of Revelation, verse chapter 22, with that invitation. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come, the spirit and the bride. The bride is the church. The spirit, the Holy Spirit and the church say, come to Jesus. Will you come to Jesus today?